The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Action Show episode 386. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah, guess what? Big show today. Coming up on the big show, we're going to look at a distribution that really puts the Plasma 5 desktop in one of the best lights possible. And it's a rolling distro. Yes, we're talking about Netrunner. And if you've never checked it out, and I bet you haven't, it might be worth adding to your distro hopping list. Netrunner puts the new Plasma 5 desktop in the best light possible and with some installations that you're just not going to believe out of the box. We'll give you our full Linux Action Show review today. Plus, in the news segment, we're going to discuss that big Ubuntu conspiracy that's been a-brewing. Plus, speaking of Ubuntu, there's rumors on the street that ZFS could be coming soon. LastPass got bought, and we'll look at some open-source replacements for that bad news. And we'll also talk about Slackle. It's Slackware, but not like any Slackware you've seen before. And then last but not least, the developer behind Gnome Builder just got a gig over at Red Hat. We'll tell you all about that. A little bit of community news. But before all of that, Noah, you know what else we have? We're going to do the picks. It's the picks this week. And uh, this one came right, the uh, Runs Linux came right out of our chat room. And you may or may not have heard of it. It's called the Very Large Array down in New Mexico, the VLA, the Carl G. Jenksky, I think, a very large array. It's a radio telescope array. You may have seen it in Cosmos or even in Contact. I got a little clip here that uh, kind of explains more about it, probably better than I could. But there are other telescopes built on a more massive scale that work around the clock, gathering invisible light from space. Visible. The Carl G. Jansky Very Large Array. This vast collection of dishes is among the most accomplished telescopes in history and one of the most recognizable. These radio telescopes, rising like giant flowers from the New Mexico desert, are monuments to human ingenuity. So there you go. Uh, the VLA, as you, as you probably guessed it, absolutely does run Linux. In fact, a whole batch of pictures were sent into the show, Noah, of their Linux setup. I'm pulling up a couple of them right now. The whole telescope array is managed by a whole series of Linux rigs and Linux servers. And it looks like, Noah, and I'm just a uh, you know casual observer here. But mm -hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken, it looks like Red Hat with KDE. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think that uh, KDE is a kind of a strange desktop to you to be used in a situation like this? Oh, yes. <laughs> I guess if you're going to put me on the spot. <laughs> so, I mean, so let's just let's think about it for a second. In, in, in an environment like this, it looks like they're primarily using a lot of terminal heavy and application specific um, applications. Right. Yeah. And so. If, if your goal, if the goal of the operating system is to just run the application and then get out of the way, seems like something with GNOME 2 or maybe a really scaled down GNOME 3 would be a better choice. It is KDE. possible, Noah, and I don't know for sure. What do I know? But it is totes possible that uh, maybe their in-house applications are written in QT. And oh, maybe okay. if, yeah, you know, that could be. if your stack's going to be in QT, maybe it makes sense. So he sent in a yeah. whole bunch of pictures. Uh, and uh, including some nice close-ups of the console. So if we want to get our homeland on later on today, we can uh, go in there and figure out to what hack scene they're doing. Speaking of homeland, I guess that had some nice, like, pretend Linux gratuitous shots, but I went through it for this show, and I didn't see anything in it that actually looked like legitimate Linux. 
But the VLA, that is legitimate. The very large array runs Linux. Check that out, and we'll have a link to the pictures if you want to go through the data center porn and all of the other goodies in the show notes. It would make sense, Noah, that if you're going to probe the uh, vast, vast, vast space out there, you'd probably want to use Linux, right? I mean, you wouldn't want to do that under Windows. That would be a mistake. Well, it, it depends on how long you want it to run. If you want to do it for just, you know, a couple of minutes, then Windows should probably be fine. But if you want it to run more than seven minutes, yeah, I would probably go to Linux. I'll tell you how I would do it. No, I would do it with an array of Raspberry Pis connected to a bunch of Yagi antennas pointed out to space and collecting all of that data on a DigitalOcean droplet. Go over to DigitalOcean.com, where that would be my cloud. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up your own cloud server. But guess what? We're going to supercharge the deal with last digital give you two months for free over digitalocean.com you can get started in less than 55 seconds and pricing plans start at only five dollars a month now get your conceptualization on ready put that cap on think about this think about it promo code last digital las digital one word i know it's beautiful it's gorgeous but it's not just that i mean we could just put it up on a pedestal and appreciate last digital as i mean that's gorgeous but think about this that, that actually gets you a $10 credit over at DigitalOcean. You can try out the $5 rig two months for absolutely free. And for $5 a month, you get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte! Yeah, a terabyte of transfer over at DigitalOcean. Now, DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Amsterdam, Germany, London, and they just busted open a new one in Toronto. This is a nice one, especially if you want your data in North America. What I love about DigitalOcean is their interface. It's very straightforward yet extremely powerful. I've never really felt like there's anything I couldn't do, and if I ever want to do something at scale, I can take advantage of their straightforward API. Lots of great different distributions to choose from, easy to deploy one-click applications, taking full advantage of Docker. Go over to DigitalOcean and check out their community tutorials as well. In fact, you can go over to DigitalOcean, click on their community link, and take a look at some of the things they post on a regular basis. How to troubleshoot common HTTP error codes, how to create a puppet module to automate WordPress installation on Ubuntu 14.04. That's fascinating. There's a bunch of really good ones, including a bunch of great community-created apps as well. So go over to digitalocean.com and use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. There's a lot of different use cases. Just a couple off the top of my head that we use here at JB, our Mumble server that you hear about all the time on Linux Unplugged and Tech Talk, that runs on DigitalOcean. I still have an own cloud server. That runs up on DigitalOcean. BitTorrent Sync, Sync Thing, they run up on DigitalOcean. Minecraft runs up on DigitalOcean. IRC Scripts, those run up on DigitalOcean. Like, it is really just the go-to Linux infrastructure on demand. They even have hourly pricing. And when you use the promo code LASTDIGITAL, you can spin up your own Linux rig up in the sky, absolutely free, no credit card required. You need to accomplish something? Just try it out. Noah and I are just between us. We're probably keeping DigitalOcean afloat just on our own. We have so many droplets these days. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you're not far off from that. Yeah, right? So you rest of you just go try it out for a little bit and see why Noah and I are such big fans. DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. And a big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Action Show. And really thanks to you guys for your support of the Linux Action Show and for checking out our sponsors. So today, Noah, today, today it came out. And we're going to cover this more in the news, that the good folks over at LogMeIn have purchased LastPass. And LastPass is a password manager that I've been a big fan of for years. And uh, I've, I've pretty much been recommending LastPass up and down 
consistently. And I want to call you out on something too, Noah, but I'm going to wait for the new Uh-oh. segment. Yeah, oh yeah, Noah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm coming Uh-oh. after you. I'm coming after okay. you, Noah. All right, all right. In the new segment. But before we get to all of that, let's get down to the nuts and bolts of what our audience can do, so what some alternatives are. I'm going to start with uh, key, pass, C. Now, this is recommended by Wes from the Linux Unplugged podcast. You know, you might have heard of that before. And it is a command line key pass front end. Now, he has been working, the developer has been working in rewriting this in Rust because he says it, re, it allows him to realize his vision of a secure password manager, which is not possible with Python. Um, but the key features are AES encryption of the database with a password or a key file, uh, KeyPassX and KeyPass1v.1.x compatible, uh, KeyPass version 2 is planned, database entries are sorted alphabetically. But I'll, let me jump ahead, if you will. What is really, really nice about it is it is a command line and curses interface to your KeyPass database. So there's a lot of ways you could use this. One of the ways that Wes used this that grabbed my attention, he was, he was here on Tuesday recording Linux Unplugged in the studio, and he wanted to log into a system. He just SSH'd in to his DigitalOcean droplet where he has this installed, KeyPass C, and ran it and got it and just copied right out of the terminal and pasted it into the application he needed. So key pass C, it's a command line and curses interface to the key pass database. And it looks really slick if you ask me. And because I wanted to give you multiple choices, also I'm going to recommend KPCLI. Now, so it hasn't been updated for about a year, but it should still work just fine. It's a command line interface to your key pass database files. And this one also supports version two of the key pass database. So that's really nice. Originally it was written for Ubuntu Linux, but it's been expanded off into all the different distributions. This one's not an incurses interface. This one's more of like a command line, a traditional command line application. You query it, but uh, basically the same idea is these are two different applications where you could access a shared database from the command line. And when you think about how you could integrate that with Quake or you wake, I just have a terminal tab with an SSH uh, connection to something. It starts to me to make it a lot more portable. In fact, to be honest with you, sometimes the best way I have found is to save a password to a text file, SSH to that server, grab that, copy it, paste it, and log in. So this is this would allow me to do that in a much more secure way. Have you ever looked at any of the KeyPass stuff, Noah? I have. Actually, I, uh, I've i been trying to to drag myself off of LastPass and onto KeyPass for a while. Um, it, it just it's, it's just not that straightforward for me. I have so many different machines that the ability to just plug my security device in and push a button... Uh, and and immediately have access to all of my passwords is just it's it's just a little too convenient for me to pry myself away. That was until of course today when <laughs> when they got bought out by mm-hmm. by logged me and that's kind of changes the story. But um, right. but up until now I, I've I've been kind of dragging my feet on doing it. Now obviously that it's become a much higher priority. Well, let's save the debate uh, for the news segment where we're going to cover it as a news story. But if you are interested in replacements for LastPass and you're considering migrating to KeyPass. You might see a dedicated episode from Noah and I. If we see some interest from the audience, go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com and uh, let us know if you would be interested in a dedicated open source password management replacement episode. Because obviously this is on the top of minds of a lot of people, and uh, we'll follow up more in the news segment. So that's key pass C and K. Um, let me make sure I get the spelling right for you guys. Of course, we do have links in the show notes if you get lost. But key pass C is the first one I recommended. And then sort of a backup to that, which hasn't been updated in in as long, but it does support version 2 of the database and isn't being migrated to Rust, uh, KPCLI. Not that I have anything against Rust. It's just, you know, when an application's in transition, you might not want to rely on it for your passwords. So I'll mention that. Now, 
I got back from the road trip. I'm in the JB1 studio, and uh, on the road trip, Noah, you know I use this piece of hardware called the Silver Cloud, which is a dedicated mm -hmm. GPRS and GPS device that would sing that would send back to a third-party service and automatically give a live map at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover. Right. That way people could live track it, right? It's your fun, nice, mm -hmm. and it was something quick and easy, but I, it is kind of expensive, and I thought to myself, long-term, I'd like to do this with maybe a Raspberry Pi or something like that in the rover and something that uses open source. This has come in several times as a recommendation, and I just want to mention it because, yes, I'm aware of it, and it's something I'm looking at once I build out an infrastructure in the rover. It's called Track Car, but without a K. T-R-A-C-C-A-R. Track Car. It's a server and client component. And the server, I believe, is a Java-based server. It's easy to deploy on anything you can install Java on, so a droplet or any VPS you want or your own rig, etc. And then there's a client, as you would expect, and the client updates the server. Now, the Track Car Client is an app that allows you to use your mobile device as a GPS tracker. It reports your location to your own or hosted server with selected time intervals, and it's available for both Android and iOS. And I, of course, thought this would be great to allow people to track the rover in real time. But then as mm -hmm. the conversation has picked up in our community, I have learned that some people are actually using this to track, like, elderly family members that sometimes get a little lost. And they can use Track Car. They install it on their Android phone, and they have it running up on a droplet or whatever. And then they can track the family member if they get lost. So it's tr it's kind of a neat idea. That sounds that sounds incredible. Actually, uh, we had a family member, an elderly family member that uh, that got lost for a series of hours, like mm -hmm. think like eight to twelve hours. I and and that was that was a miserable existence for all of us. Uh, just kind of wondering where he was. Turns out he was driving the wrong way uh, down the interstate um, and had gotten pulled over and then Yikes. obviously taken to a hospital, you know, for evaluation. But um, they didn't know, you know, who to contact. And so if we would have had the, you know, and we knew for some time um, that something like that was likely. And if, if a solution like this had been available at the time, especially because, you know, you could have went right on the phone or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would have been great. And, you know, then you, you combine that with something like Ting, you're looking at six bucks a month, right? And then maybe, maybe nine or 10, you know, for the tiny amount of data it's going to use to send those updates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think as I build out the server setup in the rover and we're going to conventions, we're going to cons, meetups and things like that, I would love to be able to transition over to track car. Silver Cloud's what I've used because it was a dedicated piece of hardware that you just, you know, turn it on and it runs and I didn't have to set anything up. And so for the tight timeline of the road trip, that worked really well. But moving forward, this is something I want to check out. And I like that you just use the mobile device. Originally, I didn't like that because I didn't want to run down my mobile device. But I, if I brought one and just dedicated that just said, here, this line is dedicated to, like, maps and track car and stuff like that, that might actually work really well. So, anyways, if you want to search for it in the Play Store, you can, T-R-A-C-C-A-R, track client. It's easy to get up and running really quick, according to audience members. Lots of different use cases for family or for, you know, maybe you could even use it to track a fleet of employees if you have uh, contractors out and about, things like that. And I love that it's open source. When it comes to something like this, it's under your control. That's definitely the way I prefer it. All right, Noah. Let's do the news. Hey, it's the news, and this episode's brought to you by... Ting.com. Go to last.ting.com to get our discount and support this show. Ting is my mobile service provider, 
and Noah's mobile service provider, and basically everybody else in our entire life's mobile service provider, because we ring them all in, we're like, sit down, let me tell you about Ting. God, that's so true. <laughs> that's <laughs> so true. It really, well, because here's why. No contract, you only pay for what you use, flat $6 for the line. That's like the essentials of Ting, and then they've built on a bunch of really great extras, like uh, they have early termination relief programs to help you get out of your duopoly contract, they have an amazing dashboard, they have incredibly passionate customer service, and on top of all of that, all of that stuff, you can get a device that's completely unlocked, or you can bring your own device and get a service credit that'll probably pay for more than your first month if you visit last.ting.com. Now, they have the GSM and the CDMAs. You see, those are different network technologies, y'all. It's amazing, and they support both of them. So if you have a device that does one of those on their frequencies, guess what? You're going to bring it over and get a great discount. If you don't, you can pick up a device from Ting for an incredible price. Go over right now, last.ting.com, get our discount and then peruse, if you will. So they have devices starting at $47. That's a feature phone with an incredible speaker. Yeah, Noah's a madman. I think he actually owns one of you. Did you get the Kyocero Dura XT? Is that the one you got? Yep. And and that battery, dude, I'm telling you, I think it went like three and a half weeks before it died. But I actually I have a new Ting toy to this week. Oh, yeah. What is it? Would you like to hear about it? Yes, I want to hear about I, it. I, I want it. That's good because I wanted to tell you. Uh, it is a uh, it's a GSM hotspot. Um, made by, uh, I believe it's, is it, is it pronounced Hawaii or oh, Hawaii, Hawaii? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. So this is great. <clears throat> it's a 4g hotspot and, uh, GSM hotspot. So what's great about it is I just took one of my spare, uh, GSM Ting Sims that used to go to my backup phone and I just, I put it in the hotspot and mm -hmm. then boom, 4g hotspot service. And the great thing about it is I can toggle now between if I want to have a backup phone or if I want to have a hotspot, it just, I just take the SIM out and plug it in one thing or the other. I don't have to log in. I don't have to change anything. I don't have to pay any extra. I don't have to activate. I don't have to deactivate. It's just there and it just works. It's Ooh, great. You are speaking my language. That sounds exactly like what I need. Yeah. I love that you can just get the GSM card and pop it in whatever you want. You know, today Ting rolled out the LG G Lex 2. Now this gets another take on the curved screen, but it's got serious horsepower behind it. Now, it also, thankfully, supports micro SD with up to two terabytes of removable storage. Finally, 5.5-inch screen that has a gorgeous resolution, 13-megapixel rear shooter with optical image stabilization and laser autofocus, $212 unlocked when you go to last.ting.com. You get that, you only pay for what you use. No contract. You know, another thing to, to keep in mind, uh, I had a friend that uh, we had switched him over to Ting and, and we got him on the GSM network. Did you know that Best Buy is now selling unlocked GSM phones? No. So, yeah. So if you have a Ting GSM card, um, he was on it and the phone that we originally got him was one of the blue phones off the Internet and uh, he wasn't completely happy with it. And we just went into Best Buy and for like 120 bucks, he got a much, much, much nicer phone um, and walked out of the store with it and plugged it in. And so, uh, you know, one of the things I've heard from a couple of different people is they're a little concerned. They say, well little concerned about going over to Ting because if my phone ever breaks, where can I get another phone? Well, it turns out there mm -hmm. are stores that you can just go in and buy a phone, bring oh, it yeah. home, oh, and yeah. just put your SIM card in and oh, it works. Yeah. 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 Uh, boy, I love this phone. You know, it's got an octa-core processor. Oh, 3,000 milliamp battery. Oh, that looks like a good one for $212. But you know what? No, I've got great news. Your friend, my buddy, our pal Kyra's back with Ting's app pick of the week. Finally, you can turn your life into an animated GIF. I'm Kyra, and this is the Ting Download. Yeah, we changed the name. <laughs> Everyone loves animated GIFs. They're like emojis for Ninja Masters. A series of moving images that can perfectly describe what you're feeling, regardless of language. 
They're also really hard to make. That's where Giphy Cam comes in. It's an app from the popular GIF site Giphy, and it turns your life into an animated GIF. Making a GIF is really simple. Tap the record button to make a short animation, or long press to make a longer one. On its own, this experience might be enough. And yet, Giphy Cam also comes with a ton of filters and effects to maximize your animated enjoyment. For instance, you can make it rain, or you can set yourself on fire. You can even remove a solid background and replace it with a majestic dolphin. Green screen effect. There are lots of weird options here, so have fun experimenting. Once your masterpiece is ready, you can share it with Facebook, Twitter, message it to a friend, save it on your camera roll, the usual. Sadly, the only thing you can't do is stack effects. So your dream of throwing money at a majestic dolphin while on fire will stay as just that, a dream. Giphy Cam is free on iOS with an Android version coming soon. Thanks for watching, subscribe to our channel, and we'll see you yeah. next time. Last.ting.com, Kyra's back, baby. <laughs> Welcome back, Kyra. <laughs> I love it. Last.ting.com, support this show. But really, get yourself a better mobile service. I took that Netgear Zing all across the United States of America. Hell of a battery in that thing. Last.ting.com. And you can find links to uh, the, that app pick over at the Ting blog. Go check it out. Last.ting.com. Big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. All right, Noah, brace yourself for... Dun dun dun, the Ubuntu conspiracy. Da, 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 da. Have you heard about the Ubuntu conspiracy, Noah? Have you heard that Satya Nadella has Canonical in his greedy eyesight, locked uh -huh. in, loaded, and ready to buy, according to the press? Yeah. Hmm. Yes. No. Uh, you know, and what's what's particularly no. kind of amusing about this story yeah. is that just a couple weeks ago, I made an offhanded comment about <laughs> if if Microsoft were to do this, and then like, and I wasn't serious. No. And then you were like, "Well, I don't think they would concentrate on Canonical," and I was like, "Well, of course not. It's just, it was just the first thing that came to mind." Yeah. And yeah. now, <laughs> turns yeah. out it's a thing. <laughs> well, it's kind of a thing. So of course, well, if in Microsoft the, eyes of the internet, if Microsoft, yeah, if Microsoft bought Canonical, millions of users would have to probably jump ship or accept life under the Microsoft soft banner but where did these mysterious murmurings that are almost unquestionably untrue come from in fact canonical has emphatically denied them to begin with let's say this news quote-unquote came from a single tech blog which in turn credits two undisclosed sources within canonical following the original publication some readers demanded clarification after all if we don't know who these sources are how can we tell how informate how valid the info is the author of the article refused to give up his sources, but contacted Microsoft and Canonical for an official statement on the rumor. And within a few hours, Microsoft declined to comment. And an employee of Canonical, which actually turned out to be the CEO, categorically declined the rumor. Now, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but it did kind of, I think, have a little bit of logic behind it. I think that's what sort of maybe helped it spread across the Internet. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it took about a week, but if you think about it, 20% of Microsoft's Azure cloud customers, they're running Linux on Azure. Microsoft really is, in some ways, the major cloud provider that doesn't offer Linux. Azure is currently the only large cloud offering running a non-Linux base. In other words, the majority of the infrastructure is on Windows machines. AWS, Google Compute, OpenStack, all of that are all based on Linux. And with the rise of Docker, the demand for Linux-based cloud services is set to grow. And if you think about it, from a canonical standpoint, they're not necessarily a profitable company. They do have some profitable divisions, though. The most profitable division is its cloud computing service. It offers paid, technical, and legal support covering the canonical flavor of OpenStack. And Ubuntu OpenStack powers around 55% of all OpenStack installations. 
So that's a big market. And you may not be familiar with Canonical's Bootstack service, but Canonical has one. And it's a complete hosting solution for organizations who want their own OpenStack cloud platform without the expense of running their own data center. Canonical charges a flat fee of $15 per server per day or $450 per server per month. This service includes tech support and the installation. So it's a very cheap option and it makes scaling very simple. And then of course, Canonical has Landscape. It's profit, it, that's a profit maker as well. It's used to manage enterprise level Ubuntu networks, including cloud computing platforms. So you could kind of see where there would be some appeal for Microsoft to buy Canonical. However, I've also heard speculation that Amazon would be a good contender to buy Canonical. Noah, do you think Canonical is going to go anywhere? Do you think it's possible? And before you just say no, think about the fact that EC2 is running on Ubuntu. That's a huge, just right there, that's huge. A ton of DigitalOcean runs on Ubuntu. A ton of Linode runs on Ubuntu. A ton of Rackspace runns on Ubuntu. And 20% of Azure runs on Linux. It's a huge, huge, huge market. So, first of all, my question would be, you know, um, maybe maybe we can we can talk about the the merits and demerits of of micro of, uh, of uh, canonical turning a profit but the reality is how much of a profit has Microsoft turned lately particularly in the space hmm. of free and open source software and then uh, you know you have to evaluate the way that Microsoft traditionally tackles problems and that way isn't to buy out uh, isn't to to buy out a company that's doing something well. Um, they typically roll their own solution. They build their own thing. They have their own pig-headed mind made up of of how we're going to solve this thing. And, and if and if 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 I were to predict what Microsoft were going to do, if they were concerned about Azure running on Linux, they would just come up with their own Linux distro. I don't see them buying out another company. Um, that's one more thing that they'd have to support, and they would have to do it in a way that they don't necessarily okay, like. Sure, they'd sure, like sure. to have control over those. But things. okay, let's say it's not canonical. I mean, or, uh, let's say it's canonical, but let's okay. just have fun with the idea that it's not Microsoft. So let's kick around that it's somebody else that comes along. Do you, I guess what I'm asking you, Noah, I mean, if you can detach from the value that you place in the Ubuntu operating system and just look at it from a market standpoint, can you really think of a company that's been around this long, that hasn't turned a profit for this long, that has a, that has a product that's this, this valuable, that hasn't eventually come along and been acquired by somebody? I mean, doesn't yeah, doesn't I, your experience in the IT industry tell you that Canonical is ripe for the picking? I suppose I I could see um I could see a company like Red Hat making that decision more than Microsoft because Red Hat is going to be a company that's going to want to invest or or purchase and utilize the strengths and advantages that a company like Canonical has as opposed to Microsoft. I feel like if Microsoft were to buy them, they were they would just essentially gut it. They would take the parts that they want and they would use it and then they would gut the rest. And I, I I don't think that's where the I don't think that's where the bulk of value in a company like Canonical is. But frankly, I don't really see a whole lot of people wanting to buy Canonical because again, when it comes to things like free and open source software, they can take all of the advantages that Ubuntu leverages and yeah. repackage them Spend and sell them themselves. themselves. I just don't see yeah. an advantage in buying it. That's a that is a very good point. That is a very good point. All right, now well then moving on, something that should make Ubuntu much more attractive, at least according to Mark Shuttleworth. Is ZFS. Yeah, that's right. According to a couple of rumors that are kicking around, thanks to the wonderful ZFS on Linux project, there is, as we all know, a native port of the ZFS file system driver for Linux. And it's not a Fuse implementation. It's a legit kernel module, except we have to rebuild and you do a kernel update. 
So a lot of people have been looking at Ubuntu Snappy to deploy as maybe a base operating system. But if you're going to have to start patching it, then you pretty much throw out a lot of advantages of Ubuntu Snappy. So someone asked Mark Shuttleworth about this particular problem. And Mark's response was, if it's ZFS you're after, it will be included in Ubuntu in sta as standard in due course. It's going to be included in Ubuntu as standard in due course. Now, I don't really know what that means. Now, Pharonix is, by standard, he presumably means Ubuntu will have a DKMS kernel package. Now, DKMS is going to rebuild that module every time you update your kernel. You update the kernel package, DKMS wakes up and says, oh, a new kernel version? Let me rebuild these modules and automatically reinstall them for you. A pretty nice system, but not flawless. And if your entire company's data relies on DKMS, that is a little, a little frightening. But ironically, a Gen 2 developer and, of course, a ZFS on Linux contributor has actually chimed in, Richard Yao. He added some insights and he said, I'm betting by Ubuntu 16.04 you could have ZFS included with Ubuntu's Linux kernel and it could be legally allowed. So what we could be seeing is in 15.10, it's delivered via DKMS. And then in 16.10, it's a full-on kernel module. When you update your kernel, a ZFS for Linux module gets updated, likely thanks to the legal work that Debian has been doing. And, of course, ZFS on Linux. Now, I talked to Alan about this in TechSnap. Alan has been following the ZFS file system, as he puts it, uh, for a really long time. And his take on it is that the ZFS on Linux people have been arguing that it is actually legal to include ZFS with Linux. And they've been arguing that, he says, for a couple of years now, and that they finally have gotten a lawyer that agrees with them based on the interpretation that Debian Project's gotten the green light. And because Debian's gotten the green light, Ubuntu gets the green light, and really the Messiah file system could finally be coming to Linux as of Ubuntu 16.04. Noah, are you as psyched about this as I am, or Dude. am I overreacting? No, you're not overreacting at all. Now, I, I mean, if if I was a person that used Ubuntu in in the server space more, I'd be even more stoked about this because I really see ZFS or ZFS being its, having its real advantage in the server market space. So until it hits, you know, Red Hat and CentOS, I'm going to hold off throwing throwing the congratulations party. But um, bringing ZFS to Linux is a must. Is a huge must, and and that is exemplified by a couple weeks ago when we were talking about um, the advantages that Linux holds. Uh, over over an, over another operating system, if we're going to start virtualizing all things, or if we're going mm -hmm. to start containerizing all exactly. things, and the first thing you said was, well, if you look at uh, there's there are some compelling things to BSD, and one of the biggest of which is ZFS. So I think it is I think it is an absolute necessity that we bring at least at some point yeah. or at some level we bring ZFS support um, to Linux. So I'm happy that that's moving forward. You feel like it's too little, too late. No, I don't. I, I think that I here's the thing. I don't know anyone that has a Linux server that's unable to get uh, that has, you know, horrible reliability or isn't getting their stuff done because of the file system. Yeah. And if you really need ZFS, it is a pos it's possible to do it today. You know, it, you could do it today if you needed it. Right. So this is actually, in my opinion, super cool. However, what I don't like about it, what it what it, what this story sort of re revealed to me. Mm hmm. I don't trust a damn thing Canonical says, and I don't trust what Mark Shuttleworth says. And no res disrespect to Mark, because I think he's super smart. Yeah, I think he's a, he's a visionary, and I think uh, he's he's a good guy. However, a lot of a lot of buzz is being generated because Mark Shuttleworth said, "If it's ZFS you're after, it will be included in Ubuntu in standard course." Uh, maybe that's just Mark's best intention. I mean, for all I know, that's his best hope. 
I don't know how to take that. Should I take that as fact that it's going to hit Ubuntu, or should I take that as, gosh, Mark sure would hope for ZFS on Linux, just like he would hope for Ubuntu TV and Convergence? I think that we should evaluate a couple of those things um, from the from the same standpoint that you run your company and I run mine, and that is that oftentimes we have we have really good intentions and we have really good plans. And every and and we follow through on eighty percent of them, and then twenty percent of the time something falls through, and it's difficult to predict um, what that twenty percent is going to be. And of course, I'm making those statistics up, but a certain amount no, of the time things though. just don't work out as, yeah. as you planned. And no, I that's think fair. that we should give them the benefit of the doubt, and then <laughs> and then if and when it doesn't come to fruition, then we can go back and say, you know what, that was lame. Yeah, you know, actually, in that context, here's what actually bothers me about it because that's you're brilliant. You're brilliant. That's exactly right. That's it, you're completely correct, except for the difference that you the difference that you and I would have is when something depends on a lot of third parties, like licensing a file system does. Right. We might be more inclined to hold those cards closer and say, "Yeah, I'm not going to talk about this until I'm 100 percent guaranteed it's going to work," because this depends on a whole lot of other people to get their s done, and I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Where if it depends solely on me, I'm more likely to be like, "Yeah, I'm doing that." You know, so that's a line where Mark has come out in the past and said, you know, Ubuntu TV, this and that. And it's been, it's been a lot of like, oh my God, that's amazing. But nothing actually delivered. Now, this particular one, in my estimation, and I think in your estimation too, Noah, is so critical to Linux and specifically Ubuntu on the server that if he didn't deliver on this, I mean, this is something that people are going to quote for. I mean, this is going to make Ubuntu TV look like kids play. This is going to be a That's big right. issue. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So this has got to come through on. The, and the other thing is, too, is is for whatever whatever criticism isn't made by uh, the Linux server community, uh, you can bet the BSD community will fill in the blanks. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Man, speaking of filling in the blanks, log me in as filling in the blanks on LastPass's uh, balance. Oh, this hurts so much to report because I've been such a LastPass LastPass fan, and this might be this might be my final lesson. I have to say, but before we get to that, uh, let's talk about the news. Uh, so, uh, log me in. The folks over at Log Me In that make the remote desktop stuff that works only on Windows uh, have acquired LastPass. And LastPass says, "I love this. I have an update on their blog. They say to address concerns that some of our community have raised. I want to personally assure you this is good news for users." First of all, mm-hmm. we, LogMeIn slash LastPass, have no plans to change our existing business model. Secondly, this acquisition provides us with access to resources that will enable us to innovate faster and continue to strive to deliver even better product than the one you've come to know and on Windows. love. So, Noah, LastPass has been bought by the folks at LogMeIn, and uh, LogMeIn does do a lot of good products that don't work at all on Linux, and this is <laughs> extremely concerning. And you know what, Noah? I blame you. And you blame me? Yeah. Oh, all right. oh okay. yeah, I blame you. Man, do I blame you, Noah. It's totally your fault, because here's what happened. You got it all in my head that I have to worry about companies going away. You're like, I'm not going to buy a Roku because that company might go aw- go away one day. Uh, and you're always talking about activation servers. And you're, you're, your whole concern is one day the company will go away. And I'm like, Roku's not going away. LastPass isn't going away. What you actually should have been warning me about this entire time is these companies uh, being bought. Because that is the most likely scenario is these companies get bought 
by somebody that I don't agree with, like log me in in this case. And now here I am with my D hanging out, laid out on the table because all of my <laughs> passwords are in this service. And yes, they can't read the passwords themselves, but I am extremely disenfranchised by this move. And you know what it is, what it is teaching me seriously is what it is teaching me is convenience and, 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 and ease of use can't be what make me rely on a third-party service. So in the light of the Patreon hack, I was thinking, geez, if you were using Facebook login, not only did your credentials not get compromised, but you could have even had two-factor authentication to your Patreon account. Kind of would have been better to use Facebook Authenticator, I was thinking. But I didn't, I, I would never switch to that. And with LastPass, I thought, this is a really good solution. It, it, it walks that line between convenience and actual security. And I thought if LastPass was ever going to shut down as a company, I'd probably have at least 30 days notice to switch to something else. And I woke up this morning to the news that LastPass had been purchased. Purchased. Didn't even cross my mind that that could be a problem. And what it underscores to me is the true value of having open sources and using open source software is just not relying on the whims of these companies. Not that they're going to shut down one day. Not that they're going to just all of a sudden disappear. But they might get bought by somebody that I don't like. And now, looking back at this, I completely regret not using KeePass. To be fair about it, um, my one big burn, like the thing that, that, you know, we all have those I've had moments, right? We've all had that, we've all had that moment where something is just the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back and you just say to yourself, I've had it. I feel like a big dummy, to be honest with you. I feel like a big dummy. And then what follows is the I will never again and then, you know, insert that statement. And for me, that came a long, long time ago with the with the story I've repeated probably uh, to ad nauseum of of a company that wouldn't activate some software, very, very expensive software that we had purchased, not we, but a client had purchased and, and we were responsible for maintaining. And that was the moment where I said, I have had it with activation and companies. I will never again use something that <laughs> that requires me to, you know, for another service or a company to exist. But in that particular case, Chris, guess what? They didn't go out of business. They got bought out. So mm, okay. actually, right. I fully accept the blame for that. And I guess uh, I guess you're right. I guess I can't point to it to a time where a company has gone away, it's always been they've bought out. But if you think about it, really, it's the same thing. LastPass as a company ceases to exist, and now LogMeIn uh, right. owns that product. And sure, maybe they'll keep some of the logos the same and some of the color themes the same. But the reality is LastPass is gone, mm. and now it's LogMeIn, which is using the same thing and providing the same service. But you see, the, the problem code. is, okay, Noah, here's the thing, is uh, this goes down a path that is very, very treacherous. I can, apparently, I if, if you follow this line of thought, I shouldn't be using Skype. I shouldn't be using Dropbox. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be using Google Docs. I shouldn't be using etc. 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 I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I agree. I agree. Well, with and all it's of funny that, as we record this episode, wh Noah. What happened today? Even though we've had the doc yeah. ready for days, <laughs> what happened today on Friday as yeah. we record this episode of Linux Action Show? Right. Uh, so right about as the time when we are about to put the fin finishing touches on, and I like to give uh, another read over the, you know, the news obviously comes in. We put it in as yeah. we get it. It's like this last pass thing just broke. I have to know what we're going to talk about. So I sit down uh, hours, hours before the show is started. I'm like, I'm going to dedicate this time to last and I'm going to get the final touches put in. and I'm going to read this stuff. And turns out 
I can't get into Google Doc. So at first I blame Firefox and I open Chrome. Then I blame my entire internet connection and go out to my truck and use my hotspot. Then I realize <laughs> Google is just down and I send Chris a rather strongly worded uh, message about how I wasn't very pleased with Google. And then I went and wasted two hours of my time waiting yeah. for Google to come back. Yeah, online. Google Docs. This is the second show that Google Docs and and, and yes, hello, we know there's alternatives to Google Docs, but the one thing that Google Docs has is this sort of universal bring a guest in, they can edit a doc, they're ready to go. It actually works for a lot of people outside of just our little bubble. And that's what's been nice about Google Docs. And it's down. It's down. And this is the thing, Noah, is I am coming to a point now where my experience on the road trip has showed me that I can't rely on online services. My experience with LastPass is showing me that I can't rely on online services. My experience with Google Docs is showing me that I can't rely on online, on, on, on online services. Don't and, forget about Skype. And then the Skype outage. All in the last <laughs> two weeks. In the last two weeks. And and my, my mind goes, geez, that's a lot of work to replace all of these things. And every time, here's the other thing I realize, is every time I don't make the choice to replace these, I get buried further and further into these services, and it becomes harder and harder to replace them, right? So the longer I wait to replace Google Docs, the more entrenched I become in Google Docs. The longer I right. re wait to replace LastPass, the more entrenched I became in LastPass. And now the concept of replacing LastPass, it, yeah. it boggles my mind. It boggles my mind. Yep. It, it gives me anxiety. Mm -hmm. It gives me anxiety just thinking about it. So, so here might be suggestion to you and anyone else that's facing the same thing is I would suggest it just like you eat an elephant one bite at a time. You take the things that you use on a day-to-day -day service and you move those over to a different service and you leave LastPass in place um, while you make that transition. And then slowly, every time you log in, you, you realize that you're using LastPass all the time to get to this particular thing. You move that particular thing over until you realize that it's Who's been six months before that, you Who's got time for that, Noah? Well, <laughs> you, you do it a little bit at a time. That's what oh. I'm saying. You know, first start with Google. Then, you know, maybe you do Skype or whatever, whatever you know, and, and, and then you do your, your mail service right. or whatever else is there. Seriously, I, LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Look for episode 386. What should we replace Google Docs with? Etherpad on a droplet? What? Tell me. I want real-time collaboration. I mean, seriously, legitimately real-time collaboration. I want easily shareable with a link. What should we replace it with? What? Let me know. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Look for episode 386. KeyPass. That seems like the obvious replacement for LastPass. And I honestly, LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Do you really, truly want an episode on password management under Linux? Uh, I have a sense that a lot of you have already figured this out. You... I can tell by the feedback, we're way ahead of me on this one. And so you've probably already solved this problem. If you haven't, and you want to know what Noah and I are going to do to solve it, and you want us to do an episode out of that, let us know. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Look for 386. All right. So you know what we don't talk about enough on this here show? Not Triscoll. Hmm. No, no. It's Slackware. So let's talk about Slackle Linux. It's not your father's Slackware. And this, to me, is an intriguing take on the Slackware distribution. And it looks real, real nice. And we're talking about KDE distributions today. And this is a plasma-based distribution, although it's KDE 4.14.3, which is a pretty solid experience at this point. And you can theme it up to make it look pretty nice. Slackle is a distribution from developer uh, Demetrius Tesmos, I believe is how you say his name. And it ships with version 3.18.11 of the Linux kernel. It's got 32-bit and 64-bit versions available. The 64-bit ISO supports booting on UEFI systems, which is nice if you're a Slackware user. No safe boot support at this point. Now, with KDE uh, 4.14.3, that was the version released on August 8th. So, so August 8th was a pretty current version of KDE 4. 
And uh, you can also get it in an installation or live versions if you just want to check it out. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link it up for you guys to read the full review. But for a Slackware-based distribution, one of Slackle's strong points is its systems tools collection from Salix Linux. Slackle uses the G-Splat package manager for access to Slackware and Salix and Slackle packages repositories. So you got a GUI interface to actually manage Slackware software to see what's been installed. It doesn't necessarily do dependency resolution, but it helps installing software. And it has package update notifications handled by the Salix update notifier application. So you can find out when there's new packages available. The latest Slackle KD release is available from SourceForge. We'll have it linked in the show notes. The root password is live, and the standard user login is the word one. O-N-E, with no password required other than that. So there you go. I just want to give you a little primer on it. You can find out more at linuxinsider.com. But from time to time, we get emails saying, guys, you never mentioned Slackware. And the main reason for that is, is we have a lot of Windows users who listen to the show that want to move into something. And right. uh, Slackware is not a great distro for them, but Slackle might just make it possible. And Noah, I think it's a well-known shame of mine. I've tried a lot of distros. Just about every single freaking distro on the planet, except for I've never, ever ran Slackware. Have you ever ran Slackware? No. Yeah, never no, have. That can't be true. Never really? ran Never ran Slackware, not a day. No well, kidding. I may have for a day. I may have for a day ran Slackware one day. One oh day. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. yeah what, yes, I've run Slackware. Really? In fact, it was one of the first. Yeah, of course. In fact, it was one of the first distributions really? um, I ever played with when I started trying different distros. Yeah, totally. Actually, so here, here's what I would tell you. Let me guess. When you think of Slack, where you think of old, decrepit, and nothing quite works right? I think of it like, I think of no dependency resolution, and I think of installing mm -hmm. packages being a total nightmare. Yeah, that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Yep. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Then your view fits at what most people think about it. And what I would say to that is, have you tried it recently? No, and of course, no. You, that, I'm not going to ask that to you because you just said that you don't run it. I know, but, I know, but, I know. But, but to anyone that, ha that thinks that, that thinks that, hey, I've tried Slackware before it was a pain, blah, blah, blah. When's the last time you've tried it? Because they have come so, so far. And really, if you think about this, Chris, Slackware is actual Linux. Like when people are first getting involved in Linux, what's the first question they ask? Well, I don't want a derivative of Linux. I don't want a distribution of Linux. I want just regular Linux. I want to start with regular Linux and then I'll move out and see what else. Works. I mean, that's a, that's a common question. Yeah. Right? And and Slack, if you think about it, that is what Slackware is. Slackware is just regular Linux. It is just Linux with nothing else added or or intertwined. We should do. We should definitely. We should take a look at, at Slackware. Right, we right. should totally do that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I I mean, okay. I can't right. really argue with you, but you're probably right. You're probably right. <laughs> All right. I want to take okay. a look at what happens in the community. Uh, specifically, there's some developers out there that have gotten our attention on the show before. The developer behind GNOME Builder, a, an IDE for GNOME. GNOME Builder looks really, really nice, and of course, if you're thinking about how do you get applications on Linux, one of the big answers to that is, well, if I'm a new developer researching Linux, what is the path I follow? What are the tools I use? What is the step one, step two, step three? And GNOME Builder, in my estimation, plays a really important part in that story. And this is why I'm really, really excited to say that Red Hat has picked up the developer behind GNOME Builder. So he writes on his blog, The Real News, however, is that I've, been, I've accepted a wonderful role at Red Hat. I'll be focusing on the XDG app developer story, and Builder is an important part of that. We want to make it easy as possible for you to create and deploy software that users can trust. He goes on to say, and this, jumped, this grabbed my attention, Noah, because if you're not familiar, there was a crowdfunding campaign behind Builder, and <laughs> what I love about what he's about to say in this next paragraph is it what it means to me is that if you create an open source application 
that gets notoriety, that gets some attention, and contributes something unique to the open source ecosystem, you have people knocking on your door. Read this next mm-hmm. paragraph. Read this. And, and this, to me, is like it's a wonderful example of why developing open source software can actually lead you to your dream job. He says, this was a difficult choice for me as I had a few offers from people I respect greatly. As in, he had multiple offers, Noah. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. I think Red Hat is the right place to push two hugely important projects forward. They are respectful of my desire to continue living like a gnome in the forest, and I can be (laughs) remote. So this is, so let's stop right here. Multiple offers, because he created Gnome Builder, he chooses Red Hat because he thinks Red Hat's going to help him push his vision forward. He gets to work remote. But then, then something really interesting that I didn't quite understand the mechanics of the GNOME board, but actually this makes a lot of sense. He says the GNOME Foundation's board of directors already has two people who happen to be employed at Red Hat. Two is the maximum number from any single employer as set out by the bylaws. With much sadness, I therefore have resigned from the board of directors. And, you know, a lot of times we'll hear the, we'll hear the criticism that uh, Gnome is a Red Hat project. Right. But right. I fi- right? You've heard that. But I find it fascinating oh, yeah. that the bylaws say that no more, from, no more than two from one company can be on the board of directors. So he had to Good resign in order to take this position. And doesn't that tell you something there? Isn't that interesting? So this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, undoubtedly, comments and feedback are going to say that I'm a fanboy again. But the, the, this underscores and exemplifies what I keep saying about Red Hat as a company. It speaks to a couple different things. One is that the people that are working on these open source projects have integrity of unimaginable uh, measurement, right? Like if you look at the amount of integrity it takes for somebody to say, I want to keep doing this project and I want to keep these goals um, and these th- and this value system in place yeah. that takes an enormous amount of integrity because yeah. undoubtedly he's turning down money to 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 keep you know those goals and and those values and then you take it the other side of the coin and say that what a company Red Hat is to not only respect that but support his efforts give him a paycheck and then let him continue life uh, you know uh, essentially as it was just with the paycheck he's going to continue to do the same work that he has been doing, except he's going to get paid by Red Hat. And when we talk to Red Hat, we ask them, you know, tell us about how it is you you hire these people. And and Brian's answer was, listen, what we do is we look for people that are making valuable contributions in the open source community, and then we offer to pay them to do the same thing. Because if they're going to give that kind of value to people um, when they're volunteering, imagine what they'll do when we pay them. Right. Yeah. And he says, uh, and, you know, going back to your comments so that you and I, you know, we both try to, we run our own businesses and we commit to something and we usually deliver about 80% of what we actually want to be able to deliver. He says, I've been so focused on writing software and other aspects of the campaign were not tended to. Going back to the builder campaign, the, the crowdfunding, if I were to even, if I were ever to take part on a project of this magnitude again, I would definitely not go it alone. I would highly recommend having at least a second person in place that is dedicated to communication and administrative tasks. There's a huge time sink and it really would have prevented me from pushing the software forward as fast as I did. If you do not see your name in the builder's credits and you've purchased a perk that included that, please contact me. Chances are that you select the anonymous donation box. So, all of you waiting for perks for me, they are coming. I owe you more than just software and I'll be pushing hard on that front over the next month to finish preparations and shipments. My goal is to have the campaign perks completed and shipped by the end of November. Thanksgiving time here. And the reason why I wanted to underscore that is 
I think a lot of times open source developers feel the pressure to overcommit on deliverables to get people to fund it. And really, I, I think as a community, we should step back and be like, just create the code. Just make the code mm-hmm. and don't worry about mailing me the perk. Right. Right. It yeah. is so and, much and, work these people are doing, right? For free. I mean, well, not for free because they got, they got funded, but just doing that work they got funded for is enough of a task. It is a massive task. Well, and so you that and it depends on how you evaluate it as well, because if you look at the opportunity cost and the, the amount of money that he gave up as a software developer working on some proprietary project to do this, mm. he did, in fact, give you something for free. Um, you right. know, he he did get some contributions. So that fi- that fulfills a certain amount of his income quota. But the rest of it, he surrendered and volunteered his time mm-hmm. to, to bring a valuable software project to us. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, Noah, that's all the news for this week. Last week, I could clearly tell that Noah was very excited to try out Plasma 5, and I thought, let's try it on a distribution that's really meant to rock the Plasma 5 desktop, and while we're at it, has the latest and greatest packages available too, so a rolling KDE distro came to mind, and that's why we decided to try out Netrunner. I'm going to give you our take on that in just a moment, but first, I want to thank our segment sponsor, System76, creators of powerful computers to help you do more, go further, and unleash your potential because they run Ubuntu out of the box. And System76 is on right now, the search, as you were perhaps the quest for a super fan. Now, could just be me. I mean, they might just want to accept that out of the box, but they're willing to go on a hunt to find the perfect fan. At System76, we figuratively love our customers to death. You, our devoted fans, give us a reason to wake up every morning. So we've decided to celebrate your devotion with a contest. And because we like competitions and superlatives, we're pitting you all against each other in a social media free-for-all to find the System76 superfan who will be flying to Denver, Colorado to meet us at our headquarters downtown. You get to hang out with the team. Our office is super chill. Three, two, one! You get to hang out with the team. Our office is super chill and super friendly. What the f- You get to hang out with the team. Our office is super chill and super friendly, and we can't wait to have you here. How fun are we? So fun. Damn right we are. You'll even get to check out our entire line of current desktops, laptops, and servers. Now equipped with Intel's totally legit Skylake processor. Yeah, that's Batman right there. That's awesome. That's, that's the best it. part. Share why you think you should win a trip to System76 headquarters on our Facebook, Twitter, or Google Plus pages. And tag it with hashtag System76Fan. Feel free to share as many unique submissions as you like, which may include, but are not limited to, the following. A tweet or Facebook post. A product review. A new internet meme. A stop-motion fill, a t-shirt design, a fake commercial, a real commercial, a black-and-white photo series, a historical reenactment, a depiction of the System 76 logo fighting the logo in a cage match. The possibilities are endless. <laughs> the only rules are to use your imagination and submit them by midnight Mountain Standard Time on October 18th, 2015. Also, be 18 or older and a U.S. resident. And a few other things. <laughs> and a big list of stuff <laughs> scrolls across the screen as she sits the there. fine print. <laughs> sparkles! Sparkles everywhere! Enter now. 
System76.com. Check it out at System76.com slash superfan. Listen, this is a fun opportunity to get yourself some gear. And you never know. Maybe there'd be some other reasons to fly out to Colorado, too. Depends on if Noah and I can get our ass together. System76.com. Yeah. Are we disqualified from entering? I don't know, because I feel like we could totally rock that. <laughs> uh, well, here's the thing. I have, I, I don't know, I feel like I deserve the title of Super System 76 yeah. Super Oh, fan. trust me, me too. I, I feel like you and I should compete for that title. Yeah. I feel like yeah, everybody well, else should be eliminated, and you and I could fight to the death over that here, title. Here's the thing. I would have to come up with like creative ways to make my argument. All you'd have to do is take a selfie standing in your studio and be like, uh-huh, <laughs> what's that? What's that? Yeah. What's that? Let's what's see. that? Oh, look, I'm surrounded Let's by see. System 76 There's a bonobo machines. right yeah. there. There's a bonobo <laughs> exactly. right there. What's up? What's up? <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. Very good. <laughs> System76.com. Go get yourself some hardware meant to run with Linux. You can stop fighting with the hardware, and that way you get to play with your software. So, Netrunner came into our sites today. I don't believe it's ever been reviewed on the big show before, but with some bit of momentum from our OpenSUSE Leap review, we decided to take a look at Netrunner 2015-09 rolling, based on Manjaro and therefore Arch, ships with KDE Plasma 5, and it's got a rolling package. So you got to imagine, this is right up my alley, Noah. And uh, to that end, I, uh, I got it installed. In fact, I was so excited about it, Noah, I went all in for the Linux Action Show, and I actually installed it on the computer that I'm Skyping with you. I put it in a production computer right here. Right now, right here in the studio, I am running Netrunner on the mach very machine that I am talking to you on. And uh, I have to say... It is probably the best KDE experience I have ever had out of the box. Netrunner is clearly the best way for me to experience the Plasma 5 desktop right now. First of all, no, I am absolutely serious. Absolutely 100% serious. First of all, let me tell you about some of the things I love. Right out from the grub menu when you boot off of the live ISO, it has the option to start with non-free drivers. NVIDIA drivers out of the effing box. Slick GUI boot looks awesome right from the get-go. It detected that I have a touchpad and a mouse connected, and this is a KDE thing, but they set it up for me. It automatically disables the touchpad because I have a USB mouse installed. That is extremely clever. Thank you. Thank you for making my touchpad disabled when a USB mouse is installed. Also, the installer is extremely clean. I have more notes about that in the show notes. It's a great installer. And I also have to say, I really appreciate the fact that they put KDE apps front and center during the installation. So instead of using like uh, Inkscape, they say, hey, bro, why don't you go check out Carbon, another really great vector-based graphics program. Yeah, you've heard of Inkscape, but have you ever heard of Carbon? They really make all of the great KDE apps front and feel front and center in this desktop. And I really, really, really like that. And last but not least, while I'm telling you about all of the things I absolutely love, as a Steam user, this might be one of the greatest distributions of all time for one really, really simple reason. Right here in the games menu, not only is Steam pre-installed, but the option to use the Steam runtime, which is based on Ubuntu, to purge all libraries or to use my modern rolling distribution libraries, which offer better performance, better support, and are often the quote-unquote fix when you're having Steam problems under non-Ubuntu distributions, right here in the menu. 
Steam Purge Libraries, Steam Runtime, and Steam System Libraries. You can launch Steam in three different versions right here from the menu. And if you've ever troubleshot issues under Steam, under Linux, you understand why this is a very, very nice to have installed out of the box for you automatically. Also installed out of the box, Skype. So really, this thing was pretty much good to go from the moment I installed it on this Bonobo. Ready to rock, everything I needed for production purposes right here, and I have it with a nice rolling release. I did run into some issues, Noah, but I was curious about your initial impressions. Yeah, so uh, from booting up, um, so when I started to boot up, the first thing I noticed is I personally, I prefer to be able to go right into the installer. I don't necessarily like being taken to a live environment, particularly because I just find myself wanting to play with things and tweak things, and then I'm disappointed when it restarts and I've, I've lost those changes. So if, if I had my choice, there would be an option, boot live if, if you want, but also have the ability to actually do an install. Uh, second thing I noticed were the desktop icons were just like huge for some reason on my machine. Not really sure what that was about. Oh, really? Right, but then once I got in, th this is where I actually had some real problems. So first thing I went to do is to install uh, a Quasso client, and I w the the cool thing is they have a software manager, a graphical software manager on a rolling distribution. That was awesome, but it found the Quasso client. But when I went to actually click install, it the install button was was grayed, grayed out. out. This is grayed out. It was it, was, it was just ghosted, and I couldn't actually click on it. So after updating the system a couple times, more than once actually, and restarting it once or twice, finally got that to go, um, and then it hung. So it said it was installing, and then it, the so total ch size t changed to zero bytes, and then it just didn't load at all, and then eventually it just crashed and said the package daemon has crashed, and then I didn't get close to client. Womp. All right, let me jump in. Can I jump in right here? Because yeah, I, ran, I ran into something kind of similar. Uh, let me show you right here. So I really like the Muon package manager. Now, this isn't unique to an Arch distro, but it's a really clever way to update your distro. And what's really nice is it breaks out application updates and system updates in their own separate sections. So I have 32 megabytes of system updates, and I have 600 and... 28 to 28 megabytes of application updates. Nice. Good to know. I click install updates. The install updates immediately goes to 33%. And then the update software manager, Muon, will never, ever, ever resume. It will never do anything. It will never continue on. If I eventually force quit the process, if I go in like X kill it or kill the process, when I relaunch it, it'll say, hey, good news, all updates are done. In reality, the Pac-Man database has been locked, and because the Pac-Man database has been locked, it can't check for updates, and instead of saying the database has been locked, it just says, no, you don't have any updates to install, don't worry about it. And the reason why this is no good is because you sit here, you wait for it, and then after a while you bail and you restart, thinking, well, maybe it did the updates, and one of the reasons that made me think that it did the updates is because as I'm just sitting here doing absolutely nothing, the Plasma 5 desktop completely crashed on me. And I thought, oh, well, it probably crashed because some of the core packages are being replaced. No, 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 it just crashed because it's Plasma 5. That's why it crashed. And it doesn't have anything to do with these updates. And when I close this update manager and relaunch it, it will tell me there's no updates to be had. No error message. No database has been locked. Nothing. I have to go delete the I have to go delete the database file and then it works. So I had some issues too. I uh, once I got past the the ability to actually get Quasel uh, Quasel client installed, which by the way isn't working now, uh, <laughs> incidentally enough. 
Um, I still had audio issues and I still was having some difficulty getting Telegram installed. Although I think that I, if I would have worked at it a little bit more, I could have I could have probably done that from downloading the the actual package from the AOR and and, and doing yeah, it. I think yeah. it was sure, more of laziness. Sure, yeah. yeah, it's based on Manjaro, so you could get that. But um, there were some things I, I did really like about uh, about Netrunner. The first is I did my entire install offline, and so. For mm-hmm. an Arch-based rolling distribution, that's really cool that yeah. you can do it. In fact, I didn't even realize I was offline until I got the whole thing done. And then I was clicking around, I was doing something, I opened up Firefox and realized I wasn't on the internet. I thought, man, I have a totally usable system um, with just a with just a USB key. So that's like that's key, especially if you're going to be in a camp or something like that. I think that that's that's almost a must. Um, just like with uh, with uh, OpenSUSE last week, I felt like it was an entirely different operating system. Now, you, one might think because uh, we were using Plasma, it would have felt very similar. But actually, I think they did just the right amount of changes. It felt like a different operating system. Sure. And yet at the same time, they didn't change anything that didn't, quote unquote, need to be changed or, or they didn't hinder anything. I think they just it was all it's not necessarily better or worse. It's just different. And I liked it. I actually think it's a really good, sane implementation of KDE Plasma 5. If you want the Plasma 5 desktop, this is a really, really good one. And I want to qualify the fact that the Muon software updater is broken. Yeah, it's a bummer. But you know what? Pac-Man at the command line works just fine. If I kill this process, I go delete the database file. I can update using Pac-Man without issue. So if you want to just get a really nice Arch installation, well, a Manjaro installation, out of the box using Plasma 5 and you don't use the GUI tools, it's totally solid. And there are some GUI package management tools that work just fine. It's just this software updater is broken. The um, Speaking of things that were broken, I had inside of the inside of Dolphin, I went to change the view properties because I don't like seeing folders. I like seeing list icons. And I it gave me the dialog box, but like when I would click on the arrows, I couldn't read what was inside the dialog box. And when I would click on the drop-down arrow, it wouldn't actually let me choose anything differently and i'm not sure why that was and i'm not even really sure what the what the spawn of that what the spawn of that problem is if that's a if that's a if that's an arch thing or it's a kde thing or well, exactly what it is all i know is it was really frustrating um i was kind of irritated about it um yeah. and then last the last thing i ran into was i went to tr- try to see if i could solve the problem of telegram not being there um, and seeing if I could fix that with the software sources. But the again, the sources button inside of the software manager is ghosted. And I don't know why that is. Now, one kind of cool thing that, that Netrunner led me to, um, I was desperate to get Telegram working right now, and I didn't really have time to play with it. And I actually installed the Telegram extension for Firefox, and it's actually incredible. So if you if you need a Firefox, if you need Telegram in a hurry, and you, like me, don't want to use the web client because you want it to run in the background, that whole thing, um, it's actually really, really kind of cool to use the the Firefox extension. It actually works super well. So if you haven't used it before, give that a shot. Nice, nice. So uh, I, as part of my ongoing distro review process, I do try to throw um, uh, as many of these distros at a high DPI display as I can because I think this is an area that Linux needs to play a little bit of catch-up on. And mm-hmm. uh, because there's Linux devices shipping today that support high DPI, it seems only reasonable that we are able to actually use high DPI displays. And so I installed Netrunner on the uh, XPS 13 here, which has the 4K display. And, um, you know, I, unfortunately, it's limited to uh, the support that uh, Plasma 5 desktop has for 4K resolution high DPI. And that isn't such that when it first boots up, it's going to be extremely hard to read. If you have any difficulty at all reading the screen, 
you will be completely unable to read the text or the dialog boxes on the Plasma 5 desktop by default. However, the good news is it is very easy to go into the system settings, go into display, and then there is a scale button in Plasma 5. You can just scroll that, pla that scale button, that, that slider up to where you like it, and Plasma 5 will magnify the interface, essentially. It's not perfect, and applications mm. like Firefox don't support it. Anything that's GTK um, is either going to have to be GTK3 or it won't support it. And some of the things don't fit quite right, and you have to resize the windows in KDE, but the functional result is if you go in and up the scaling under Plasma 5 desktop, you can get a pretty good high DPI desktop. It's nowhere as near as good as GNOME 3, in my personal opinion. And uh, Netrunner did nothing to actually detect this and did nothing to sort of preset this up. I had to go do this myself on the XPS 13. In my opinion, if you have a high DPI screen, Plasma 5 is real, real close, but you're probably going to get better results with GTK 3 at this point. But it does work. And Netrunner, uh, you know, the nice thing is, I really, I got to give them props for this. They saved me a hell of a lot of time by just installing the NVIDIA driver out of the box for me, and that got me up and going. And Noah, mm -hmm. you and I have constantly, constantly complained about, uh, about the, um, about, uh, I'm, I'm installing updates right now from Pac-Man in the background while we do the show. Of course. Yeah, of course. of course I am. Of course I am. You and I have constantly complained about uh, being able to set up um, uh, the audio settings. Well, uh, the fine folks uh, at Netrunner have installed Puva Control by default. And it seems to be the, uh, the way to get this working is to go through your devices and just choose all the devices you don't want and turn them off. And if you turn all the devices off by a process of elimination, the device you leave on is the device that will have good quality sound output. And oh, that's actually oh, how, that all? Yeah, that's how I'm actually able to hear you right now is because when I first oh, okay. installed this, it only wanted to install and send audio over the internal speakers of the laptop. But by, by process of elimination, by shutting off HDMI audio, by shutting off audio headphones, and by shutting off built-in speakers, the only thing left was your audio and so, therefore, I'm able to now capture audio using that using Skype. So that's a little that's a little pro tip from the Linux Action Show: is you go in and turn off built-in built-in audio off, turn off HDMI audio, and leave your like any, your sound card you actually want on. And by that, then KD will force the sound to go through there. And then your default your applications like Skype that just use the default Pulse device will work just fine. Does that make sense? Well, I'm glad that's not a pain in the butt. <laughs> Jeez, man. Really, I don't want to indict Netrunner. I think what Netrunner has done here has made um, really one of the best KDE distributions out there. I have not tried the latest Kubuntu, but this, Noah, promise me when I tell you, this is a really, I, believe me, I promise, this is a really good implementation of the Plasma 5 desktop in my estimation. It looks good, it runs well, the performance is decent, the, net, the networking stuff works out of the box, that's not always the case, like I can browse Zomba shares very well. The Wi-Fi stuff is working really well. The sound stuff is working really well. It's just a few straggler issues that aren't working. And if you're not a big GUI package manager, if you're okay with using package management on the command line, I actually think this would work really well for you. I, you know what I, you know what I almost regret. And and, and early in the week, I actually sent you a telegram. Speaking of this, I I actually downloaded the LTS because I was gonna just kind of see what the differences were. I almost somewhat regret not installing it just to see. Because oftentimes it seems like for whatever reason, the way the universe is structured, you have better luck on rolling stuff and I have better luck on LTS stuff. And 
we have tried exchanging those to, to try to mitigate different issues and it never seems to work. And I, I almost wonder what my luck would have been if I would have tried the LTS. Well, they do have that. Uh, that is one of the neat things about Netrunner. And, but you know what's interesting about their LTS is it's not based on Manjaro at all, I don't think. I think it's based on Kubuntu, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to double mm-hmm. check. Uh, so yeah, you could. And, and the reason why no, I wanted to try this is I wanted to see how doable is this with an Arch-based distro. And mm-hmm. I actually, for me, this is working pretty well. I mean, I've already put it in production. Uh, yeah. It's not perfect. This is honestly the best Plasma 5 implementation I've ever used. Really? Yeah. Do you think it's not as good as OpenSUSE's leaps that you used uh, last week? I certainly had a better experience. That's not to say that it's better. It It is entirely possible that I have made a, a mistake or a series of mistakes that have led uh, uh, to, my, to, to my less than exemplary experience. But... I had a much better experience on on OpenSUSE Leap. What would you say if you could if you could wrap it up? What was the what's the main detractor from Netrunner for you? Um, the 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 main detractor is is missing little bits of polish, missing little things like the window that doesn't load quite right, or the package manager that crashes, or the it, the, the yeah. little tiny things. It's not one big thing that makes it unusable. It's just that I didn't have any advantage. I didn't have any advantage that I that I don't ordinarily have with something like. Um, with something like like Arch, except for the fact that it, you know it installs right away, and I can install it offline, which is kind of cool. Um, but save that, there wasn't any big advantages, and I had a bunch of little things that just didn't quite work right. And to be fair, I guess I don't know if it, that was. It is entirely possible that that's my fault. It's entirely possible that it's Plasma's fault, or it's entirely possible that it's Arch fault, or maybe the universe just has it in for me when I'm trying to use rolling distros. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm going to keep Netrunner installed here. I'm going to give it a go for a little bit. Um, it is a very easy out of the box experience. If you want proprietary drivers, if you want steam and you want to be able to use modern steam libraries or the steam runtime, if you have any idea what I'm talking about, that's a nice advantage to have there outside of that. I'm not totally sure I would recommend Netrunner yet. I think this is one of those distros I got to I mean, I've been using it for about a week and I, I would say just about every other time I picked it up, I have had trouble. So I, I actually don't think it's been a trouble free experience for me either, Noah. Um, but it has been a less trouble experience than other Plasma 5-based desktops have been for me. Um, there was a time where I just had it sitting here and it crashed on me, and I, don't even, I wasn't even doing anything, and it just crashed on me. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say, because in my opinion, in my estimation, Plasma 5 is not yet stable enough for main adoption. But if, if you're going to go with a Plasma 5 desktop, I also think you should get one that gets updated. There was an update to Plasma, the Plasma 5 desktop today, as of, as we are as we are reviewing this, and as we're reviewing this, I'm getting those packages installed. If you're going to use the Plasma Five desktop, I, in my opinion, I think you should probably try to go with a fairly up to date one because it only is getting better. It's not it's not fully there yet, and getting something current is critical. And I don't know of another way to do it other than Netrunner. I mean, the Kubuntu distribution is great, and OpenSUSE Leap is great if you're cool with sticking in with super buggy packages for a while. I should try Kubuntu. Would you be willing to try Kubuntu too? Absolutely, yeah. In fact, I think, I, here's my prediction. I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction, okay? My prediction is that if we do something like Kubuntu, I'm going to have a phenomenal experience and you're going to have a less than a phenomenal really? experience. Really? Really? That's you think the so? way the universe works, man. When you use a bunch of things, and I've seen it with my own two eyes, so I will gladly come to your defense and defend you against anyone who says that you're not doing it right or whatever it is because you don't know how to use Linux, whatever the argument is, 
I can do the exact same thing on my computer as you can do on the exact same thing on your computer. And they can even be identical make and model computers and yours won't run worth crap and mine will work perfectly. That's an indictment. and if you and if you reverse those and you put rolling on mine and you put and you put rolling on yours, it's the exact opposite. Yours works flawlessly and mine just sucks. And I don't know why that is. I'm willing to accept that challenge. I'm willing to accept right. that challenge right here, right now. Uh, I I say we run Kubuntu the latest. I say we do 1510 beta two. As WWNSX okay. says, it's up to plasma plasma five four two, which is the one I'm most curious in trying. I just I I I I don't know. I in my opinion, I think it's. I know this. I sounds. This sounds like a hater thing to say. I just don't think Plasma 5 is there yet. I think that's what the problem is. I don't think it matters what distro we try. But we'll see. All right. So uh, if all goes as planned, and maybe unless we change our minds, (laughs) we'll do a Kubuntu 1504 or 1510 review next week and uh, and see if if that is. And I'm going to load it on this machine right here. So uh, we'll see if we can even make a call next week with the audio. (laughs) I was impressed. I was able to get You're the audio really going all in. I'm going all in. I really, I'm going seriously, literally, going to go all in. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't work, well, then uh, we'll crash and burn live in front of everybody, right? Why not? I love it. So I love it. I actually, I want to give Netrunner a plug. If you're comfortable not using graphical management tools, they have a couple different ones. If you're comfortable not using those, I don't really see a downside to Netrunner for you. I think it's a pretty good Plasma desktop. It's got the rolling packages. It's got a good Steam implementation. You've got proprietary drivers out of the box. It's got Skype out of the box. If these are things you use, then it's worth it. If I said something that's like, oh, gosh, I don't want proprietary drivers. Jeez, I don't want Skype. It's not for you. And I would not put it on your list. But if those things check your boxes like they check the boxes for me, it's worth checking out. I will say this. Out of every Plasma-based desktop we have ever reviewed on this show, I wrote this down. In my own chicken scratch, this is the fastest desktop I have ever got up and running with Plasma 5. I mean, I went from no time, I went from I had it on a test laptop to I'm going to put it in production here in the studio like that. Because it has all these things out of the box ready to go. And it saved me a ton of time. So, and it will, and it will continue to save you time every time you ever have to reload that machine too. You know, the first thing you do anytime we reload a machine is, oh, well, we got to get this on there, we got to get that on there. Exactly. And it sounds like the majority of them just come by default. Exactly. 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 That's why it saves me a ton. So, and from that perspective, I like it quite a bit. It's just as I actually sit here and use it, it's really not the best experience. But it's close. Um, like, you know, the mirrors they're using apparently are way too slow and those kinds of things. There's little things like that. The updater needs some bug fixes, things like that. But yeah, it's a rolling release, so those fixes should come trickling down. All right, Noah, that's the Linux Action Shows. Look at not re- Netrunner's Plasma 5 rolling distro 2015-09. It just rolls right off the tongue. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Before we get out of here, we do have some emails and some feedback to get to. And our first one comes in from LAR, I guess. He says, Noah, I need your wisdom. Noah, I've got a challenge. Request. Cry for your help. I run a small engineering and architectural office. We design buildings. But myself, only I design roads and wind farms, but mostly wind farms. We use Windows on all the computers, and we depend on Autodesk software, AutoCAD, and Design Review. I've tried a lot of Autodesk alternative software, like BricsCAD. I've tried it on Windows, and it works perfectly. Also, it has a Linux version. I wanted to try the software on Linux, but as my home PC runs Arch for almost two to three years, I couldn't even install it on Arch, so I switched to Ubuntu. 
and it ran flawless. My problem is that I also need design review and it could not find anything for Linux. Much of AutoCAD files must be converted to the DWF format to digitally be signed. It's like an authorities thing. In Portugal, demand the text files with spreadsheets to be in PDF. Also, here in Portugal, the citizen's ID also has a digital key for signing files. So every architect and engineer also has to digitally sign the files. Noah, back to you. I've been, I've seen, I've seen, uh, I've been to convert hotels, radios, and weddings to light DJs to Linux. Have you had any hint for architects or engineers to completely switch to the free side of the force? Hope you can help me. Love the show. Greetings from Portugal. Noah, anything for him? I actually do have something what? for him. So we had, yeah, I know. So we had talked and, and if I had been able to get, uh, some of the, uh, some of the requisite files and, and resources in place, we, uh, we were really close. I don't know if you remember this really close to doing an episode on CAD. Yeah. I have a friend that's a civil engineer and he spends his entire life inside of AutoCAD. And I had sent him, uh, he actually bought a computer from our company and uh, he brought it out and, and he was miserable with the, the Windows install. And he said, I'm going to send it back to you, uh, install it with something else. And I said, all right. So we put Linux on it and uh, he actually ran a program called DraftSite, which is commercial proprietary garbage, but it does run on Linux. Huh. And uh, and yeah, and so and he actually he not only did he use DraftSite, but he actually imported, I believe, a lot of his AutoCAD files. And so he was able to he was able to 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 just kind of seamless, seamlessly go from using Autodesk's AutoCAD uh, uh, straight into DraftSite without any problems. And I guess the command structure and and, and huh. the uh, the layout is similar enough that it's it's actually a pretty seamless thing. Hmm. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. So you can Google around for that. You want to take the next one? Yeah. J.O.J. writes in and he says, hi, guys. I've been on and off Linux. Can't say. Uh, can't even count, but I'm looking at you, Noah. I remember loving Fedora Core when it first came out, even more than Mandrake or Red Hat. Now I'm using Linux more and more uh, and barely use my MacBook Air, except for the design apps as they kick ass on the Mac platform. Boy. One thing I'm trying to get right right now is settling for distros is the partition system. I've got lots of 160 gigabyte hard drives and a one terabyte hard drive. This is what I've managed to do on my Linux system. Are you ready for this, Chris? I am. SDA1 is 152 gigabytes and formatted as EXT4. That's his root partition. SDA2 is an 8 gigabyte swap partition, and that's obviously being used as his swap partition. Okay. SDAB has uh, a single partition, which is a 1 terabyte butter FS, and that's being used as his home partition. Right. He asks if that's a good way, and if there's, if there's a good way to keep his home folder always available and play around with new distros, what would he do differently, and what is he doing wrong? Um... I don't know if you want to jump out. There's something that jumps right out to me that I would not do if I were him. Is it the 8 gigs of swap or the ButterFS for home? A ButterFS for home. Uh, 8 gigs of swap. <laughs> uh, 8 gigs of swap, I can, it depends on how bit, how much RAM he has, really, is what, what would dictate to me um, uh, how much swap space I have. But I would definitely not use ButterFS for your home partition. Um, additionally, as far as having a home partition available and trying out, uh, out other distros... A lot of crap accumulates in the home partition. Every time you, you your, your your Firefox bookmarks and your Thunderbird profile, and there's a lot of junk that just uh, that 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 stores up inside of the home partition. Yeah. That's particularly true if you're installing new uh, new software programs. So yeah. my suggestion would be create a folder that you're going to use kind of like a home folder um, that exists somewhere on a drive or maybe on a drive altogether, and just call it, you know files or whatever. And store all of your stuff there, and then that way, when you reload, if uh, if a different distro 
you know, interfaces a little differently with where it stores those configuration files or how how it how it stores all that stuff. All that junk gets dumped out every time you reinstall. Personally, that's what I would do. It's a little mm. more work because you are going to have to back up and restore your 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 bookmarks with Firefox unless you're using Firefox Sync. You are going to have to reset up your email every time. But, you know, in this day and age, if we're using IMAP, that's not such a big deal. Um, so I, I don't find that to be a big detraction. And I really like the fact that I get a really clean install every time. I also find that I have less little oddball problems. And sometimes I'll do a reinstall to get rid of some of those oddball sure, problems. Sure. And then they come back. You know, I've I've switched over to using XFS for my home partition, mostly because if I'm ever going to fill a partition, it's going to be my home partition, either Dropbox or Steam or Humble Bundle games I download, ISO images that I never want to delete. Those always end up filling my home folder up. And because of that, ButterFS just isn't a great option for me. Because once you start filling up a ButterFS drive, it never runs the same, in my opinion. So I also, that jumps out at me. Eight gigs for your swap. <clears throat> Man, this isn't 2002. I don't know about that either. I'd, two gigs maybe. I don't know. I know you got eight gigabytes of RAM. I understand your logic there. I just don't know if it's necessary anymore. But just take that with a grain of salt. Darren D writes in. He says, you guys sound like you don't have a solid replacement for Google Reader. And though Noah likes to have desktop native apps, I'm betting he gets his news from various devices. I've tried Feedly, and I didn't like it. The old reader is almost identical to what Google Reader looked like, but it's even better. The old reader, if you haven't tried it, is at theoldreader.com. The only catch is that you are limited to a few hundred feeds, and after that you have to pay a fee, which is pretty much worthwhile. I find the limited number of feeds is an excellent reason to weed out the stuff I don't really look at anyway, because seriously, do you stay on top of more than 200 feeds? So it's called theoldreader.com, and uh, that's a great, solid option. I will also give a plug to Tiny Tiny RSS, which I have running on a server. It's really nice. There's nice desktop apps that sync to it, as well as mobile clients that sync to it. Tiny Tiny RSS, and also theoldreader.com. Noah, anything to chime in on that one? I definitely don't have over 200 RSS feeds. <laughs> like, not even close. Good. Not Good. even in a little bit. I'm going to give a plug. Uh, so I'm back in JB1. I'm back here in the studio. The rover... Uh, thank you. It's nice. It was good to see you. The rover log is up. I just did another one, episode 12. So now we have a baker dozen, right? Technically, that's a baker's dozen, unless I'm mistaken, of the rover logs. Episode 12 just went out with uh, making it home and early reflections on the road trip. Probably try to get one or two more out and then decide if I want to make it an ongoing thing. And you can let me know if you want it to be an ongoing thing by supporting at patreon.com slash today. That is where we invest in the infrastructure for all of the Jupiter Broadcasting shows. And we definitely could use your support to make each and every show better, make the production standards higher, the quality higher, and the support staff even more rewarded at patreon.com slash today. And I wanted to also give a format update about the Linux Action Show. A few weeks ago, we announced that we were going to try focusing on audio and remove video and then sort of work it back in from time to time as we felt appropriate. And as we did that, we haven't had a lot of time to do dedicated videos, although we have had a couple come out. And now that I'm back here in the studio, I'm going to slowly start working in some video elements and bring it back bit by bit. My main goal, though, is what we originally wanted to set out, really good audio quality and focus on the content. And I still want to do that, but I want to give more visuals to those of you who are really watching in the home entertainment setting. That's really the big bit, bit of feedback that's come back to me. And it's been like, gosh, yeah, I wouldn't really want to watch a chat room on my big screen television either if I had a Roku app or a TiVo app or an XBMC app or a, you know, um, a, a Kodi app, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily want to watch a chat room either. And so we're going to try to introduce some video elements, but... I don't know how synced up the audio will be to the video. I don't know how well that's going to work because it's 
just kind of an experiment at this stage, and we're going to kind of build it back as we feel like Linux can make the they fill in the gaps that we need to do that production, and also as we feel like is necessary to kind of deliver the product that we want. So still open to your ideas. And now that we're kind of past the initial, oh my God, you're killing kittens, and we can kind of focus on the actual experiment, we're going to keep working it for a few more weeks. But I'd love to hear your feedback. Linux Action Show at reddit.com. Your calm, rational, and helpful feedback would be really good because if it's beyond that, it doesn't really do us much good. It just kind of becomes white noise, and we can't really incorporate it in any changes. Otherwise, we just start getting crazy. Noah, do you have any kind of... Uh, I don't know, any kind of uh, input and feedback on trying the audio format for the last few weeks and trying it while we're on the road and all of those things. And this week I've integrated a little more video to give it a little more visual presentation, um, which is really kind of a behind-the-scenes look. What are your thoughts so far on all of it? You know, I think that uh, sometimes I think it gets lost. I mean, you know, and, and I read the, the feedback pretty religiously, and a lot of the feedback that comes in is um, you guys say that you're concentrating on, on, on content, but I haven't noticed a difference in content. Really? And that comes in. Well, I, yeah, we've, uh, yeah, people have said that. And, and, and to those of you, I would, I would just, I would encourage you to go back and listen to a couple of the episodes and think to yourself, if they were doing video, would I, would this have come out? And what I mean by that is, uh, LinuxCon in Seattle, 80% of that episode would not have aired if we were, if we insisted on doing visuals, if we had been concentrating on, on a good visual aspect instead of the audio aspect. And, uh, the, even the, even the, uh, even the, my, my house, um, was drastically scaled down from the kind of video production that we would have done in the past. Um, instead we focused on, you know, on the actual episode and in, and in doing that, you know, I have a notepad in front of me and I'm able to, to, to kind of corral my ADD mind and formulate, um, better thoughts and more constructive thoughts rather than just trying to respond off the whim and, and having to concentrate on staring at a camera. Um, and so I have a lot more fun doing the show. I know I've talked to you and you have more fun doing the show. And so, yeah, we'd love to bring back visual elements and we'd love to, uh, we'd love to do that using Linux where we can, but it's, it, it just, I guess what I'm saying is hang in there with us and continue to give us constructive feedback. But like you said, if you're if you're if your post is is filled with four letter words and personal insults, chances are we don't even get past the first couple sentences because neither of us have the time or emotional energy to just read somebody tearing you apart like that. And so if you're going to offer feedback, identify something specific that you don't like, offer a specific solution and and phrase it in a way that you would say it to somebody's face. We are people that read this on the other side of the Internet, and I think that gets forgotten a lot. And it, it, it is, it can be really hurtful and, and, and frankly, it, it's pretty rude sometimes. So, um, constructive feedback is, is always appreciated. Yeah, there is an element of that. Um, and I think what I like to think of it as is not a done product. I like to think of it as we are starting with some, what is the essence of what we want to deliver in a weekly show? Now, an if open we set of an ideas and yeah. if, and if we, if we could take the whole summer off and reformulate the show and then come back exactly. with a new graphics package and new music yep. and new logos and, yep. and it would be a whole new thing, right? That would be really awesome. But in reality, we're here every single week. And so what we mm -hmm. have to do is we have to try this stuff in real time and we have to experiment in real time. And um, <clears throat> it doesn't mean it's a, it's a, the, the conversation is over. But what we want to do is we want to say, all right, well, what if we reduce a bit Focus on the essence of the show and then build on top of that. And I, I kind of feel like that's what we're doing. And I like one of the things I like about this style is it allows for such a greater amount of flexibility. Sometimes we can deep dive into topics right. that just are not very visual. 
The other thing mm-hmm. is it allows for us to be mobile, which means we can mm-hmm. do these shows from different locations, which is a huge thing ongoing and long-term viability of the show. That's a big aspect for me. And then last but not least, uh, I, I have and Noah has all of the equipment and all of the software and all of the technology to make these shows sound amazing. And it drives us crazy that we would reduce the quality of this show so that way we can record it on a Mac and do live switching and make it easier for you to download an MP4 of the Linux Action Show. And I mm-hmm. understand that that is a nice thing to have, but at the end of the day, it's really hard to come here every single week and make a worse product just so that we can do that thing on a Mac that really we would, we would prefer to be able to produce this under Linux, use mm-hmm. open source software, and, and honestly, when we, when we reduce the scale of the show like this and we've brought it down to its essences, we have successfully been able to produce from beginning to end the entire show under Linux and OBS using all open source software. And that's a huge right. deal for us. Ten years yep. into the show, that's a huge deal for us. And it's a big transition for us to be making. And so it's like, let's get to that point, figure out what kind of changes we might need, might need to make at the infrastructure level to make that doable and then grow that and bring it forward, bring it out. And, and slowly bring back the things we really want in a way that meets the quality level we want and accomplishes it in a way that doesn't require fundamentally compromising our values every single episode. You know, and I'll, I'll add to that and say that how are we supposed to provide feedback to the existing software infrastructure that's there to do some of this stuff on Linux if we're not using it, right? If we don't, you, if we never use OBS, how are we supposed to know what suggestions we can make to the OBS community to improve it, to get it up to the standards that where the competition is. How do we know what changes that we need to make to uh, video conferencing solutions that we can submit those, that feedback to those communities. And so those solutions get better. So in a way to be a good steward of the the Linux ecosystem, to some degree, it's our responsibility um, to try some of these things out, try to put them into mm-hmm. practice, work with them where they are now mm-hmm. and grow with them rather than abandoning them because they don't, you know, exactly meet our needs right, you know, right from the get go. You know, I would also say, I would also look at the uh, situation with LastPass. You know, we're dependent on a lot of third parties to produce the fully, you know, the, the full video version with the green screen and the transitions and all that stuff and the lower thirds. We're dependent on a few companies there that in the, in, in the shadow of LastPass, I think to myself, for sustainability purposes, I'd really like to be able to build this show using open source technologies. And we're so close right now. I so, so close, closer than we've ever been that I don't want to let go of it. Uh, and, but I'm willing to experiment a little bit further if you guys are willing to stick with us because we're not abandoning all of the other aspects of it. We want to keep some of the production elements going. We want to do video production and we want to also bring video to this show. Uh, but we just want to do it in a way that allows us to continue to produce the show in a way that we feel cool about, in a way that doesn't depend on these third parties that might go away one day either because they get bought or because they decide to change markets, and in a way that honestly is fun for us to do. And I think that's a big part of it as well. And so uh, right now, my intention is to add more video back into LAS as we go forward, but do it in a way that's maybe um, more organic, more honest, and more genuine to the show format. And I don't really know how it's going to work over the next couple of weeks, but I hope... Uh, you guys will just sort of observe what we do, give gentle feedback, and understand that we're evolving it. Do you think that's a good way to end it, Noah? I think that's a great way to evolve, a great way to end it. There you go. And uh, if you'd like to help us, patreon.com slash today. The more support we get there, the more we can pull off. Patreon.com slash today. If you'd like to email the show, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. If you'd like to submit content to the show, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, stories, 
community projects we should look at, distributions, app picks, feedback, all of that is really welcome. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. That's a great place to go. Noah, anywhere you'd like to send folks throughout the week to find you? Twitter.com slash Kernel Linux. I have, it's funny, like I, I caught on, um, actually a couple weeks ago, I guess it's been kind of an evolving thing. Every time I go out to job sites, I see funny things or I see catastrophic things that this week started out as a disaster. Chris, I walked into a place and they had their quote unquote IT network wire nutted together. Oh, they had taken I all the Cat5 runs. And there were no punch plates. They just, they took, you know, they did same color wires. Thank, I mean, I guess, thank God. And twisted the wire nuts on and then couldn't figure out why nothing was working. Um, so uh, needless to say, uh, we, we went through and, and I noticed uh, the first couple of times that we see stuff like this all the time. Um, and the first couple of times I'd taken some pictures uh, and posted them on Twitter and it turned out they're kind of popular. People get a kick out of them. So we do before and afters. There's the before uh, you're seeing on the screen now. And then uh, shortly after there, after we got done later that day, Much we posted better. what it looked like Much after. Better. Yeah, it looked a little nice. <laughs> got done with it. And needless to say, things worked a little better too. Yeah, um, that's good. So that's, kernel Linux if you want to see those. <laughs> nice, Noah. You should keep posting those. Keep posting those all the time. I actually yeah. enjoyed that too. In fact, Twitter like was like, Hey, you might like this so much they saved it. This is what you missed while last time you were on Twitter was your picture. I was oh, like, really? oh, okay. I did miss that. So yeah, I think it is popular. At Kernel Linux, I'm at Chris LAS, and the network is at Jupiter Signal. And there you go. That wraps up this episode of the Linux Action Show. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com, JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact. And won't you join us live? JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar to get the live times. We do it over at jblive.tv. we got video and audio. And, of course, a new episode comes out every single Sunday over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. So you want to go to Colorado? I don't have any of those. What? Yeah. Does the... Yeah. Here's the thing, Noah. Here, hey, Noah. Here's the thing. <sighs> Tell me the thing. Uh, what kind of jackass am I to get a rover and then fly somewhere? Yeah, I guess there's that. Is there any but, way into Colorado that doesn't involve going up to like uh, fourteen thousand feet? Is there any way? I don't. I. I it could be. I've never driven through Colorado, but because uh, it just I seems like, like it seems to... like the Rockies in November is a super bad idea. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like a good time. I mean, you know, the fact that I'd be towing my whole house and all that seems like a good way to just lose my entire life. <laughs> If I had chains, uh, yeah, I do have my limits for show content, though. Uh, I don't know. So, so like at the point where you're living in the mission because you can't yeah. Yeah. <laughs> replace anything That would else? be a good limit, I think. I think that's where I should maybe drop you on. Know. <laughs>